0: Welcome
2: to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and I'm Holly Fry. Today, we have someone I first learned about from the People of Color in European Art History Tumblr, also known as Medieval POC. Yeah, which is excellent. I love that Tumblr. It's excellent. Uh, it is Ira Frederick Aldridge, He was a Shakespearean actor in the 1800s. And you might even call him the first uh famous American Shakespearean actor. Although there was another American named Edwin Forrest, who was popular in both the United States and Britain at about the same time. There is actual debate over which of them should be called the first famous American Shakespearean actor. Which amuses me, but to return to the story... Uh Aldridge has largely been excluded from biographies of Shakespearean actors and from histories of the theaters where he performed and the like. In some cases, there were even, like, histories of the theater written in in France, for example, that were then translated into English and in the English language versions from, you know, the late 19th, early 20th century, just kind of... Excluded from the translated version, he's a little hard to find information about. There are not that many books about him. But he was one of the first Americans to achieve fame as a Shakespearean actor, as we said, and he was definitely the first black man to really do so. Uh, He had There were a couple of other black actors performing Shakespeare at about the same time, but none of them got nearly the international renown that he did. He became a really famous figure on the Victorian Shakespeare stage.
1: And there is uh, some haziness about Aldridge's parents in his early life. And part of it is thanks to the holes in records and documentation that come up pretty often on our show, especially the farther back you go. Uh, but complicating that was a heavily romanticized story of his ancestry that floated around as part of the publicity for his acting career. And that kind of nebulous version was also picked up by biographers.
0: The most basic version of this story was just that Aldridge was from Senegal and descended from royalty there. An African prince newly arrived from Senegal would have been at the time somewhat more acceptable to white theater audiences than an American black man descended from slaves. So it's possible that however this story came to be, it was motivated at least in part by appeasing the white theater crowd's sensibilities Logically, probably also just as a publicity move.
1: But at least one biographer went so far as to detail a whole saga of Ira's father, who is named Daniel, being brought to the United States by a missionary to be educated and to flee a conspiracy playing out among the Senegalese nobility. And in this story, Daniel Aldridge married while he was in the States and then returned to Senegal with his wife after the danger had passed. And that would be just before Ira's birth, as this is told.
0: This is a very, very dramatic story. It's probably also just a story, although it's really unclear at this point exactly when Aldridge's ancestors were brought to North America or how they ultimately came to be free people living in New York. Daniel Aldridge's birthplace was either New York or Baltimore. His death certificate says New York and his obituary says Baltimore. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, we've had a few of those where, like, different documents say completely different things. Yep. Uh, and at that point, all you can kind of do is shrug. Ira himself was born in New York on July 24th of 1807. He had several siblings, but only one older brother, Joshua, survived. Their mother, Lorana, was either from North Carolina or Delaware, depending on which record you're looking at. And she died in 1817 when Ira was 10 and Joshua was approximately 12.
0: Although New York had passed a gradual Emancipation Act in 1799, many enslaved people born before that year weren't freed until 1827. And census records reported that about 75 enslaved people were still living in New York in 1830. So while Ira and his family were free, there were also enslaved people as well as people who were working out indentures that were required by the Gradual Emancipation Act living in New York City at the same time. And in addition to this stratification in terms of freedom for the black community, public facilities were segregated, including the schools and the theaters that Ira would attend as a young man. Ira's early
1: education was at the African Free School, which had been founded by the New York Manumission Society. The African Free School was open to children up until the age of 15. But it seems as though Ira stayed until he was 15 or possibly 16, perhaps because he had enrolled when he was already a young teenager.
0: In about 1820, William Alexander Brown, who had previously worked as a steward on a ship that sailed from New York to Liverpool, opened a theater. This was the African Grove, sometimes just called Brown's Theater or the African Theater. In this theater, which was in Manhattan's West Side, he was building on the success of an ice cream garden he had previously opened. And this ice cream garden served tea and ice cream and also functioned as a performance space It was one of the very, very few such venues in the city that was open to black patrons. And it was one of a string of Brown's social and performing arts venues that he opened over the years.
1: At first, the coverage of the African Grove Theater from the white press was largely negative and dismissive. But eventually it grew so popular that it had to designate a section for white audience members. It was certainly not the only New York theater that was run by and for its black residents, but it was the most ambitious and successful. In addition to other works, it staged adaptations of Shakespeare and one of its star performers was a man named James Hewlett, someone Aldrich most likely both watched from the audience
0: and eventually acted alongside. In 1821 or 1822, Ira and Joshua Brown both landed roles at the theater Ira would have been 15 or 16 at that point, but their father was not a fan of this idea. He pulled them out of the show, possibly because he wanted them to become ministers instead of actors. But Ira would not be deterred. At the age of about 17, he started trying to build a career as a professional actor full-time. And
1: this was a difficult time to be a black actor, both in New York specifically and in the United States in general. The African Grove burned down under mysterious circumstances about three years after its opening, and that had followed a general theater closure during a yellow fever outbreak. And even before that, the African Grove had been the target of complaints from white neighbors about noise and crowds, as well as sabotage attempts from a rival theater company.
0: It strikes me as so strange (laughs) that there were theater rivalries, including sabotage. Outside of New York, opportunities for black entertainers, which had not been all that numerous in the first place, were really dwindling. In the early mid-1800s, menstrual shows performed by white actors and blackface, often in a way that offensively lampooned and caricatured black characters, were becoming more and more popular. The stock character Jim Crow became part of Menstrual Shows by 1828, and the name Jim Crow would be used as a racist slur within a decade. Minstrel Shows performed by white people in blackface started crowding out opportunities for black performers, sometimes while simultaneously copying those performers' original work.
1: With all of this going on, not long after his decision to become a professional actor, Aldridge also decided that he would do so in Europe and not in the United States. According to a pamphlet about Aldridge, which was published during his lifetime, one of his former classmates, quote, was in the habit of taking Mr. Henry Wallach's dresses to the Chatham Theater. Henry Wallach and his brother James were both British actors who had become a staple in New York's white theaters.
0: Yeah, at this point the theater scene in New York was thriving so much that a lot of British actors are being drawn to New York to perform there, much to the chagrin of the theaters, especially in London. Uh, this was the case with the, the Wallach brothers. So, Ira Aldridge renewed his acquaintance with this former classmate who had been delivering the costumes to the theater for the Wallachs. And through his friend, he got an introduction to the two men. Both of them took an interest in Aldridge and his career. And even though his acting opportunities had been li- limited at this point, he seemed to have already shown some clear talent. Henry wrote him a letter of introduction, and James, possibly by coincidence, booked passage on the same ship to Liverpool that Aldridge uh, had secured employment on. He was going to work as a steward, basically, to get uh, across the Atlantic Ocean into England. Once they were on board, though, James requested Aldridge as his personal assistant, and Aldridge got to Liverpool in 1824.
1: And in a year, he would make his debut with top billing. And we're going to talk about that. But first, we are going to pause for a moment and uh,
0: talk about one of the sponsors that keeps the show going. (laughs)
2: It's just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
0: In the fall of 1825, Ira Frederick Aldridge made his London debut, starring in West Indian and African melodramas at the Royal Coburg Theater under the pseudonym Mr. Keene. He would have a variety of pseudonyms, especially early in his career. And at this point, he was only 18 and we
1: don't really know the story of how Aldridge went from a new arrival in London to securing top billing in his debut performance, albeit at one of London's minor theaters. Uh, it's likely that Henry Wallach's letter of introduction really helped, as well as the novelty of having a black actor on the stage. Aldridge was, we should be clear, certainly not the first actor of color in Britain, but there weren't that many before this point.
0: Audiences seemed to love him in these first performances at the Coburg. Newspaper reports uh, talk about really long and loud applause for his performances and audiences who just seemed enraptured with him. Some of the reviews were positive, but a lot of them, though, were frankly just hostile. They painted a caricatured picture of his appearance, exaggerating his facial features and his skin color, and in one case, claimed that the shape of his lips made it impossible for him to pronounce proper English. If you read, like, the, his biographies collect a lot of these, and if you read them, they are terrible. While
1: performing at the Coburg, Aldrich met the woman that he would soon marry, Margaret Gill, who was from a laboring family. Similarly to the story that Aldrich was really descended from African royalty, Margaret was often presented as the daughter of a member of Parliament. And while the faux history of Aldridge's parentage made him more appealing to the audience, the idea that she was the daughter of an MP gave Margaret a little more social protection than she had as the daughter of a poor family.
0: Soon after his engagement at the Coburg ended, Aldridge and his new wife moved on to Brighton, and then they went on a tour through the UK's provinces. He took on both comedic and dramatic roles, and since he could sing, he performed in variety shows. Most of his roles were those of black characters who at that point had typically been played by white actors in blackface. Some of his most common roles were Othello, which is probably the most obvious <laughs> uh, at the time, and another was Orinoco in The Revolt of Suriname. Almost immediately, he was being billed as the African Roscius. And Roscius was a Roman actor who became sort of the go to nickname for particularly successful actors later on. I wonder why that fell out of favor. We could be using that today. I know. And I, it was one of those things where I, I was, so many people were referring to it uh, in the, in, you know, Articles about him and things like that. I had to go look it up because I was like, but contextually, (laughs) this is a nickname for a famous actor, but it is not really in common use now. No, let's bring it back.
1: Uh, even though his performances were well received and he found work really often, he and his wife really struggled financially at first. His engagements, uh, only gave him, a lot of the times, a few days of work at a time. And without a steady employment or a patron, at times he would go for weeks without pay.
0: Especially in the earlier parts of the, his career, Aldridge falls in and out of the historical record. Sometimes the only trace we really have of him is in playbills and theater advertisements. We do know that he returned to London in 1833 to take over the role of Othello at the uh, Covent Garden Theatre. He was picking up the role from another famous actor, Edmund Keane, who had unexpectedly died. And once again, he got a generally warm reception from the audience
1: and a fairly vicious one from critics. Before he even performed, there were articles attacking him as being unfit for the stage because of his color. Reviews were filled with racist descriptions of his voice and appearance and an outraged, pitying response to his co-star, Ellen Tree, and the, quote, indignity of being pawed about by him in her role of Desdemona. Although he was at this point still a relatively inexperienced actor, the critical response was really just truly cruel and frequently threaded through with very thinly veiled racism, if veiled at all.
0: Yeah, sometimes it was very explicit. And written before he had even performed the part. (laughs) Isn't that how reviews
1: work? They're prescient.
0: Yeah, it's it's somewhat unclear why the critical reception to his work was somewhat kinder outside of London. I'm not suggesting that there was none of that in the reviews from other parts of the UK, but it seemed to be at least toned down a little bit. Also not totally clear why the reviews seemed so vastly out of step with the audience response to his performances. One theory is that in London, the critics knew that he was really an American from New York and not a prince from Senegal. Another is that social conditions in London, including the rise of trade unions and class consciousness among workers, was priming working class audiences to really like the idea of an actor who was struggling against oppression in a way that journalists weren't quite in touch with.
1: Regardless of what the causes were for this sort of uh, disparity between critics and theatergoers, after his run as Othello, Aldrich returned to acting in London's minor theaters, as well as in smaller British towns and cities. He started to get more steady work, developing a following of passionate fans and building up a steady income. At multiple venues, critics wrote about his having to basically carry along cast members who were not as skilled in their performance or didn't even know their lines. Eventually, he began to expand his repertoire into Shakespearean roles that were typically cast with white men, including Shylock, Richard III, Hamlet, Macbeth, and Lear, using makeup to lighten his skin.
0: He basically became a Victorian-era equivalent of a movie star, complete with a legion of adoring fans and a steady stream of female admirers. And this was mainly a true still outside of London. He never really caught on in the eye of London society, but outside of it, he was incredibly popular, including developing a string of patrons who made his financial life a lot more comfortable. In July of 1852,
1: he started his first major European tour, including royal performances and heads of state in the audience, which was, again, incredibly well-received, but still did not win critics over to his side when he made yet another go in London. He also started adapting works of his own, including a complete redoing of Titus Andronicus, in which its Moorish character is the hero. I would love to see that.
0: Right. I'm kind of intrigued. Apparently it was kind of uneven in his execution. Uh and if you're familiar with Titus Andronicus, like the the Moorish character in that play is not a hero at all. No. So uh yeah, I I have not I don't even know if an adaptate like if a copy of that adaptation even still exists, but I am quite intrigued. This tour of the continent also came just a few months after Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin had first been published first in the United States and then in Britain. And this book stoked anti-slavery sentiment on both sides of the Atlantic, and it started to further shift the perceptions of Aldridge's performance, particularly in the role of Othello. While that 1833 Cummings Garden Theater performance had been met with pamphlets saying that a black man was unfit to be on the stage, in Russia in 1858, one review read, quote, I am firmly convinced that after Aldridge, it is impossible to see Othello performed by a white actor, be it Garrick himself. Uh, And that's a reference to David Garrick, who was a famous British Shakespearean actor.
1: Although he would briefly return to Britain and even be granted British citizenship on November 7th of 1863, his overwhelmingly positive receptions in France and Russia meant that he spent most of the last 6 years of his career there, ultimately making a name for himself as one of history's great tragedians and becoming a bigger draw than Russia's most famous actors.
0: Yeah, apparently Russia in particular loved him a lot. France also Especially, especially Russia. Although shifting perceptions of race and of the institution of slavery had also changed the way audiences and the press were regarding him, uh, that doesn't mean that the racism was magically over. The later part of his career was beset by unfounded rumors that on stage he had uh, stabbed Iagos and suffocated Desdemonas for real. This led to his co-star in Moscow refusing to take the stage with him in her role as Desdemona. His response was, quote, I have played that role more than 300 times in my life. And in all these times, I have suffocated possibly two maximum three Desdemonas. And I stabbed, I think, one Iago. <laughs> this obviously, it was a joke. <laughs> it riled people up more. Uh Biographers Herbert Marshall and Mildred Stock, who wrote uh, the first really definitive biography of him in the 1950s, described this whole incident as, quote, an out-and-out case of color prejudice. It was, like, really a completely unfounded rumor based on nothing because people were scared.
1: If he had been an actor at the Grand Guignol, it would have made him more popular.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, he's, he's really,
1: he's really smothering people. Aldridge continued to tour and perform for the rest of his life, although his wife Margaret eventually stopped accompanying him a few years before her death on March 25th of 1864. She was about a decade older than Ira and her health had been poor at that point. Aldridge had been supporting her and an illegitimate son, Ira Daniel, who had been born in May of 1847 and who Margaret raised as her own.
0: It's also unclear whether uh, she knew about this, but he had been supporting a second family as well. He'd had two more children with a Swedish woman named Amanda Pauline von Brandt. These were Irene Lorana Pauline, who was born in 1860, and Ira Frederick Olaf, known as Fritz, who was born in 1862. And similarly to how Margaret had been described as the daughter of an MP, Amanda Pauline was said to be a baroness, She was definitely not. She was the daughter of a farrier.
1: Over the course of his life, Aldridge had actually fathered several other children as well. In 1855, another actor, William Stothard, sued him over an affair with his wife, Emma, after she delivered a biracial baby. Aldridge was found guilty of criminal
0: conversation and sentenced to pay a fine. Ira married Amanda Pauline in 1865, and after that, they had two more children, Amanda Christina Elizabeth, born in March of 1866, and Rachel Margaret Frederica, who was born four and a half months after Aldridge's death.
1: Ira died in Poland on August 7, 1867, and he was buried there. Although he made specific plans to return to the United States at various points, it seems that he never did. When the new Memorial Theater reopened at Stratford-upon-Avon in 1932, Aldridge's name was included among other great Shakespearean actors commemorated with plaques among the seats. He is the only black actor of the 33 included.
0: As we noted, Aldridge became quite successful in his career, and he developed a pretty healthy income. He started giving a significant portion of that income to abolitionist causes, And he also played a part in an abolitionist work of art outside of the theater, which we will talk about after another brief sponsor break.
1: just
2: being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
0: Ira Frederick Aldridge was the subject of several works of art during his lifetime. One was head of a Negro in the character of Othello, which was painted by James Northcote in the first year that Ira himself appeared as Othello on stage. So... Although the artist didn't specifically say this is Ira Aldridge, the widespread conclusion is that that's who the the painting is of. But another came back
1: into the public eye only very recently after having been in private collections for 180 years. It's by John Philip Simpson, and it's called The Captive Slave, and it was acquired by the Art Institute of Chicago in 2009.
0: Yeah, before this, people knew that the, that it existed and there was a really poor quality reproduction of it, but the original painting had been out of the public eye. The captive slave was painted sometime in the late 1820s and it's a painting of a young black man sitting on a bench wearing manacles. He's wearing an orange jumpsuit and for modern viewers, it will probably immediately bring to mind the idea of a prison jumpsuit. He's looking upward, and his face carries this impression of nearly tearful sorrow and loss. This is a painting that first went on exhibition at the Royal Academy of the Arts in 1827, and its entry in the exhibition catalog included lines from Charity, which is an anti-slavery poem by William Cowper. It's clearly meant as an anti-slavery work, and the man portraying the slave in the painting is Ira Frederick Aldridge.
1: And we're going to put a link to the whole Medieval People of Color Tumblr's collection on Ira Ira Aldridge, because there are so many portraits that are just lovely. And that is where Tracy, and thus I, uh, heard about him for the first time.
0: Yeah, and there's a a really great post in that whole collection um, from the Medieval POC Tumblr that talks specifically about this painting. Uh, and how important it was that, like, this is a painting that he clearly actively took part in as an abolitionist statement, not a painting of an enslaved person who had no choice in the matter. So uh, I found that to be very interesting reading as well. That is Ira Frederick Aldridge. um A lot of people don't know that there was an incredibly famous black actor doing Shakespeare in Victorian Europe, and especially uh, England, even though they didn't love him in London. (laughs) But everywhere else, they super did. (laughs) Uh, Is there listener mail this week? Yes, there is. It is from Elizabeth. And Elizabeth says, Dear Holly and Tracy, I've been a listener for about two years and of late. You've been calling a siren song. I'm both a professor of African art history and a consulting curator of African art. And I first said to myself, I really should write in during your episode on the history of beer. You'll see why. Then there was the Great Zimbabwe episode. And now I'm listening as I type to the wonderful Carol Thompson. Hi, Carol. Like Carol, I'm a Midwestern girl from Iowa instead of Minnesota who found a path into African art. I've often used some of the same phrases Carol expressed in in explaining my path. Why would I be interested any more in the art of Italians than South Africans or Zimbabweans? It's all amazing art. Very long story short, a study abroad to Zimbabwe started a lifetime of study teaching writing and curation. But I can't forget the main reason for writing is beer. Though you mentioned that there are many global beer histories, which was fabulous, there was no mention of African beer. I've spent the last 15 years studying beer pots in from South Africa, especially from Zulu-speaking artists. My specialization is on the way that beer pots like the ceramics of the Pueblos and the American Southwest have become a lauded and increasingly gallery-sold art form, as well as the continued use of ceramics in important to spiritual and social life. Folks in Southern Africa have been drinking beer for, well, centuries. I'll refer to the Zulu beer I know best. Sorghum beer, uchswala, is more traditional Zulu beer that is served to ancestors and to gatherings of people during all sorts of life events in both rural and urban places. Weddings, funerals, coming of age ceremonies, etc. A black ceramic pot decorated with abstraction and geometry is the best as it appeals to the aesthetics of the ancestors. The great thing about Zulu ceramics and pottery in many parts of Africa is that it's also a women's art form historically. This means when you see abstract decorative motifs of African vessels and art museums, which happens more and more thanks to a range of amazing scholars, you're likely seeing women's contributions to artistic traditions. Much of the African art that was first collected in Europe and North America, uh, wooden sculptures or masks was made by men. So women's artistic expression was often absent from African art collections and museums museums many scholars are working hard to balance both media and gender representation in african's collections as well as so many other parts of the art world i could go on and on uh, but also wanted to say keep up the good work <laughs> um she also notes uh, that if we are ever in raleigh or greensboro which i am i will say pretty often uh, she would love to give us a tour so I don't know if I will be able to take her up on that, but I'm glad to know it. So thank you so much, Elizabeth, for writing to that. One of the things uh that I, I wanted to try to make sure to do when we talked about beer in that episode uh, was to touch on the fact that beer is from all over the world, but we were definitely lacking in specific examples from Africa. So I am so glad to have that information uh from Elizabeth and to have the information about how it applies to art history. Uh It's, uh, not often that we get email that ties so clearly to two different episodes that were that were b- two like I was the the lead person running the beer episode with our interview with uh, Eric Lars Myers and then you were the lead person talking to Carol about um about art history yeah so that that's it's not all that often that the whole Venn diagram is just a gigantic <laughs> circle in that way. Uh, if you would like to write to us about this or any other podcast, we're a history podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash history and on Twitter at History. Our Tumblr is MissedInHistory.tumblr.com. And we are on Pinterest at Pinterest.com slash history our Instagram, also Missed in History. You can come to our parent company's website, which is HowStuffWorks.com, to find all kinds of articles on just about anything your heart desires. And you can come to our website, which is MissedInHistory.com, to find a whole archive of everything else we have ever done on this show. Uh, show notes for all of the episodes that Holly and I have worked on together lots of other cool stuff so you can do all that and a whole lot more at HowStuffWorks.com or Mythandhistory.com For more on this and thousands of other topics visit HowStuffWorks.com
2: Presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2 and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.